All right, Mike. I don't think we have any apologies this episode, do we? Oh, no, wait, we do. I we don't do think have an you had to apologize last time because I, I wasn't there. I mean, it's sort of, it was it was both sad and and lovely that uh, that that Stephen was able to to, to sit in. Yeah, but oopsie daisies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, last week was a surprise for everybody. So I was on an unexpected trip which turned into an unexpected vacation two weeks before <laughs> my planned good, vacation. <laughs> so we had some family health stuff, which is pretty much fine now. It's like best case scenario considering the situation, which meant that I had to be in Bucharest for a week. Adina had already been there for two weeks, um, pretty much. She, she left when I left for WWDC. And was actually going on a trip and then was luckily could be there. And then we were really lucky that, that she's in a situation that she's in now, which meant that she could be there. Right. So uh, I have decided that I was going to go out for a week and then could be with her because I, I was I would not have seen her until like now. Um, and also be there in case I was needed, but then also spend some time in Bucharest. We have a lot of friends there. It's a cool city, that kind of thing. So well, what I was going to do was take all my gear and work from there. So I took all my recording gear. We also canceled a vacation. We were taking like a week away, weekend away in Palermo in Sicily, which is one place that we went to when we were like very first dating. It was our first vacation that we took together. And uh, we were going to do that, but we had to cancel that. So then I went out there and we were going to spend the weekend together, which we did like just the two of us pretty much. Um, and then I was going to be, I'll be working as normal, but we'd see each other in the mornings and in the evenings, that kind of thing. So I took all my stuff with me and we were staying in an apartment that a friend had arranged for us. And the Wi-Fi was terrible. But it was a trick, you see, because I was doing Uh speed tests and the Uh download and upload was great, right? Like 30 up, 30 down, perfect. Mm -hmm. But there was a latency problem. Ooh, that's and not that's not a big deal if you're having a real time chat with somebody, right? You don't know, right? Usually, like, why would you know there's a latency problem? Like, yeah. if you're just using Wi-Fi, most of the time you're not going to notice it unless it's like super bad. But it wasn't really bad, but it was bad enough that I couldn't record with people because I would say something and then there'd be a silence, and then they would say something and then there'd be a silence, and everyone would be crossing over each other. So it was a mm. nightmare. I managed to record Ungenius and Upgrade on Monday, and because Ungenius is a show where like Stephen basically writes it, so all we have to do is read what's written, right? by and large mm-hmm. so that was easy and plus the way he edits the show he could clear it up and we were lucky that we were doing a draft an upgrade which is i say something jason says something right it's not a conversation uh, yes yes if yes. we had planned any other type of episode we wouldn't be able to do it and i was trying everything there was a hotel next door i bought a room for a night to test the wi-fi it was worse. Oh, God, <laughs> so like terrible. half an hour before upgrade, I'm like running backwards and forwards between the apartment and this hotel. And then the hotel's Wi-Fi was worse. And then I went back and recorded upgrade as normal, but knew that like all of my other shows, I wouldn't have been able to do because there's no way I could have had a conversation with anybody. So canceled the ones that I could cancel, moved the ones that I could move, had people fill in where it was needed. So that's why Stephen was on analog. And then I had a vacation because I, <laughs> right. I, mean, I, I, I did all my normal stuff. Like a lot of my job is emails and communications and 
conference calls, which were easier to do, right? Because like, whatever. So I did all of that as normal, but I couldn't do all my recording, which was a shame. Yeah, but then it did mean stinky. that I had a nice vacation in, in Bucharest because th- there was nothing that was sad. Uh, that was all taken care of. And then, you know, I really enjoyed my, this is the, the most enjoyable time I spent in Romania uh, because I love Bucharest most. It's my favorite place to be when we're there because it's a big city. And over the time that we've been going there, it has changed a lot. Like oh, really? a lot in ways that I like, right? So the food options are like have become really great and there's loads of them. There's tons of fantastic places to get coffees and brunch and stuff like that. Um, there's more malls and everything is so friggin' cheap. Like just for me, like for, for, for the economy that I'm in compared to the economy that's there, Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. I mean, and there are a lot of people our age in Romania that benefit this way because they work for American or European companies and get paid above average to people mm-hmm. living in Romania. Mm-hmm. So they live very comfortably. And so it, I always really enjoy visiting there because we can go and eat at all these great places and and like and it's it's super cheap, right? Like we went to this really wonderful restaurant that was like a fine dining restaurant. Like they have tasting menus and all that kind of stuff, and the food is fantastic. Um, and we, uh, it was me, Adina and two friends, the two friends who'd really helped her out a lot during that time, right? They were the ones that arranged apartments for us. They picked people, they picked me up from the airport. Like it looked like a ton of stuff. So it's like, we'll take them out for a dinner. And mm-hmm. we did this like three course, big thing, fancy food. We got like nice alcohol, all that kind of stuff. And it was cheaper than if just me and Adina went out for dinner in London. Like it was, Oh, my word. like it's nothing. It's so, it's just, it's, I like it, right? Like I can go there and now like we get great stuff for great prices. I replaced basically my entire summer wardrobe for like 200 pounds. Cause even the brands that I would buy here in London, they have to be priced differently there to be competitive a little bit. Sure. But then they also have other brands and, which, I mean, there was this brand called Reserved, which I'd never heard of before, but Adina really likes. I think they're like um, Polish or something. And I bought like a bunch of really lovely summer shirts from there. It was, like, it was wonderful, right? Like, it's like, ah, oh, this is great. So I, I'm really enjoying it there. And also there was a, an added benefit of uh, my new niece was born on the Friday before we left. <laughs> So it's like great, we can be there for a new addition to the family and then leave for home again. So well, congratulations, that's excellent. So what what is the path between you and she? Uh, it's Adina's brother. Okay, and so this is his first child. or second child. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. And how old is the elder child? Oh, you're really putting me in it too. Oh, sorry. Okay, okay. So this is not too dissimilar from Declan and Michaela then. Yeah, because he was freshly three, I believe. I think I have that right. Um, well, that's awesome. Or was he freshly four? Shoot, I can't do math. I'm please, not, you I'm don't remember sure. that because yeah, it's, it, all, it, it, it's, it's better for me for not being 100. Yeah, sure exactly. Either. It's it's just all a it's all a blur. I tell you. But anyway, no, that's super awesome. So you got to meet the niece and uh, and and say hi and hopefully help out at least a tiny bit. So what I should say as well though is that I was I felt very thankful for the people that I work with that everybody just m- made it work out for me which was just really great. Like I didn't have to really go through a lot even though there was such short notice. Um, Everyone kind of was just like, nope, we got it. Like, don't worry about it. Like all taken care of, you know, 
and that that was just a really good feeling to know that uh my friends and colleagues the people that i rely on uh i know i can rely on right like you and steven just made it work you know like brad just got a guest just made the pen addict happen without me right like it mm-hmm. it was just like a very nice feeling to know that like if something comes up everyone will willingly and and at least to me, happily, uh, like step up and <laughs> and take care of it, and that was just like a, you know, it just made me feel very cared for by by everybody. So that was like just like a nice kind of like secondary thing, you know, like and stuff like you know, I needed help with editing, and Tiff picked up the edit for playing for fun, and and it was just like you know, it was just just it's nice sometimes to be reminded of what people will do for you if you need assistance outside of the the norm right where like for a lot of my shows i pick up a lot of the associated work with them mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. prepping or editing because it's just how i am um I, I like to have a level of input into the whole process where i can uh so sometimes i think it's easy for me to forget that the reason i'm doing it is my own reason not not because somebody's <laughs> not doing it. You know what I mean? And sure. Yeah, yeah. So then it's nice to be reminded of this, that when I can't be there, everything will still happen properly on time and of regular, if not better quality than, you know, it's just like, <laughs> it's a nice reminder of that, which is, can be helpful for me sometimes. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I mean, like take this show, for example, um, you know, generally speaking, <laughs> I think when we first started the show, I had uh, basically said, you know, I, I'm just planning to show up and uh, and record and, you know, that that should be good enough for me. And you very gently and very politely said, there's no freaking way that's going to work for me. So I'm going to make a bunch of show notes every week. And I said, OK. And, and so because of that, the burden has been on you for the past four or five years now, you know, to, to do the over overwhelming heavy lifting on the show notes. Like I knew. That, right. Right. Like it was my decision. But nevertheless, that adds an, a layer of stress for you that if Stephen, you know, didn't do a lot of the show notes or if I was, you know, petulant and unwilling to do a lot of the show notes, like would this would this very show still go on? And as it turns out, Stephen was willing to do a lot of the show notes because he's he's awesome. But you and also do more now than you ever did before. That's, that's also true, too. But nevertheless, the point is just that, you know, it it, it is an understandable stress for you that that you know, it, 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 maybe things will fall apart without me. And, and I can see how it would hopefully be refreshing and, and wonderful to learn that they didn't, which is great. And also I think, you know, with regard to people being good about it, you know, it's, I think it would be one thing if you just like up and decided to just buzz off for a week and a half for funsies and not really plan it, not really tell anyone, like, I don't think that everyone would have been quite so agreeable if that were the case, but this was, you know, like the perfect storm of, of crummy circumstance where there was the health problem, which I'm very glad by the way, to hear that that is blown over as much as can be hoped. That's excellent news. Uh, but there's a health problem. Then there's an, an internet problem, which to your point, nobody could have planned. And you even tried to do what you could, as you said, to get around the internet problem. So this is something that happened to you. Not unlike white cars seem, seem to happen to me. And so, <laughs> and so I think because of that, uh, it, 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 I'll speak for myself in saying that it's, it's much easier to take on an increased burden when you've done everything you could to do the right thing and it's just all kidding aside this the, these circumstances kind of just happened to you well, i'm glad it all worked out though and i'm glad i am glad you got a bit of a vacation too i mean as much as i'm sure you're paying for it this week <laughs> i'm glad that you did get at least some time away yeah i am paying for it this week because <laughs> i planned because I'm, I'm taking a vacation next week which is the week 
that this episode is being published in. Mm -hmm. So I'd already like put in a bunch of pre-recording stuff. Now I'm doing also some post-recording, right? Like we've moved stuff from last week to this week and from next week to this week. So it's a lot of stuff, which is fine. I mean, a sandwich of vacations with a busy week in the middle is not the worst thing. But yeah, I'm I'm paying for it, at least you could say. But we did promise that we were going to talk about Baby Driver today. In a, yep. I don't know whether to call this Mike at the Movies or Casey at the Cinema. I figure we'll just call it Mike at the Movies because we already have the artwork because we've both <laughs> seen this movie. So like the typical yeah. format doesn't apply. Um, but sure. we're going to talk about Baby Driver and we're going to do that in a moment after I thank our first sponsor, which is ExpressVPN. Look, if you believe that there's no chance that you're being snooped on or that nobody cares about your online data, well, you could be wrong. Because, look, people that listen to this show, we're very aware of things that happen in technology, right? Like, and... Privacy is a thing that is becoming increasingly more, well, increasingly less private, I think is probably a good way to put it, because there are bad people, there are governments, there are ISPs that want our data, companies want our data now. Um, and that's why I think, I mean, it's why I use ExpressVPN when I'm on unprotected networks. They use powerful encryption to secure your data and mine. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer, your phone. You use the internet just as you normally do. You download the app, you click to connect, and you are protected. Whenever I am in any situation where I am using like a, a, a Wi-Fi network that I do not know, I use ExpressVPN, and it, it makes me feel better when I am connected via their service. Um, it is the fastest VPN that I've tried. It costs less than $7 a month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee as well. ExpressVPN uses new cutting-edge technology called Trusted Server to make sure there are no logs of what you're doing online as well. It's time to stop those bad people, those the big brother types, internet companies, from grabbing your data, take back your privacy like I do with ExpressVPN. You can protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com slash analog. That is E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P com slash analog for three months free of a one-year package that is expressvpn.com slash analog go there right now and you can learn more my thanks to expressvpn for their support of this show baby driver so i feel like we should yeah we we, we have some uh, a little bit of disclaimer and a little bit of recap to do right up front and some bookkeeping to get out of the way and i think the first thing we should point out is that what what edgar wright films have we watched i don't even remember it was was it just Yes. It has been Shaun of the Dead, Scott Pilgrim. I don't think we've done Hot Fuzz. I think that's correct. I think what you just said is right. So I'd forgotten about Scott Pilgrim, to be completely honest with you. But yes, I was thinking of Shaun of the Dead. Um, and if we if we recall, listeners, I was not really a fan of Shaun of the Dead. And I think the first time I watched Scott Pilgrim, I didn't care for it very much. And then I watched it again. And I liked it a lot more. And I think in the intervening time, I had seen Baby Driver. So that may have helped, as you'll find out. But anyway, I'm not usually the biggest Edgar Wright fan. I am typically, I, I just don't think I'm a discerning enough moviegoer to really get some of the good stuff that he puts into his films. But uh, that being said, I freaking love this movie. Now, we need to do one other piece of disclaimer up front. One of the stars of this movie is Kevin Spacey. And we talked about this, I think, quickly twice now. I'm pretty sure I speak for Mike in saying Kevin Spacey, from all accounts, seems to be a bit of a dirtbag human being. That is deeply unfortunate. Um, I I feel like I can watch this film without thinking about that. I'm not sure everyone can. 
I do want to make it plain that both of us think that he is a dirtbag human and has some major, major problems. Um, but but we are just going to examine, if at all, if anything Kevin Spacey related, we're just going to examine his role in this film. And I would like to take it as understood, if you could please, listeners, that Mike and I both think he's a dirtbag. Is that fair to say? Yeah, but I like a lot of his work. and Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, me too. I don't want to cut out the stuff that I enjoy from my life because of that. And, and I am a person who is able to separate it, so... And and not everyone, I think, can do that. And I think that's, to some degree, a, a position of privilege that we have, that we haven't been afflicted by some of the things he's done to, to these people. So it's easier for us to separate it. And I'm not trying to take that away from anyone, but I, I don't think it helps us to to belabor this point any further. So no, I, I think we, we've, we've, over three episodes now, sufficiently <laughs> belabored it. <laughs> so why this movie then, right? So why did we choose this movie? So I think... As you mentioned, right, we've had mixed results with Edgar Wright movies together so far, but this is both a movie that we've already seen and loved it. Um, I have only seen it once before. I saw it in the cinema and I adored it, and I was interested to see what it would, what how I would feel watching it again. Um, how many times have you did you seen it any more times? I had seen it. So Aaron described what we were speaking about it. And Aaron has said to me, and obviously jokingly, that I've watched it a million times, which is not true, of course. I feel like I had seen it between, well, I'd, I'd seen it in the theater. And I feel like I had seen it between two and five times prior to rewatching it as homework before the WWDC episode. And then I half watched it again this morning as I was, you know, I, I like had an earbud in and was occasionally looking at my phone while I was trying to get the morning routine done just to refresh my memory. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. You said you had mm-hmm. an earbud in. Have you ever watched this movie with headphones? Uh, maybe I don't uh, You've rocked yourself. You've rocked yourself, yeah? my friend. Yeah, we're going to get to that. But when you say you okay. had one yeah. earbud in, you were so close to a perfect experience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but But we'll get to that. Yeah, but to build on what you were saying, though, um, this seems to be the sort of thing that would make both of us happy, right? It's Edgar Wright, and and I think it's fair to say that he is one of, if not your favorite director. He's my favorite director, yeah. But. There you go. Um, and it's a lot of car-related things, which is one of my favorite things in the world. So it stands to reason this is going to be a hit for both of us. I've already spoiled my opinion after your rewatch, would you mind, Mike, giving me your quick summary of how you think of this movie today? I think it's Edgar Wright's best movie. Really? Better than Scott Pilgrim? Yeah. Oh, that is unexpected. Because I know Scott Pilgrim is very special to you. Well, I don't know if it is my favorite, mm-hmm. but it is his best. Interesting. Right? I, can, I, can, I understand what you're saying. Things, right? mm-hmm, but like, mm-hmm. I just think that this is him with the budget and the access to greater star power like a, or a more varied range of characters. And when you give Edgar Wright that, he can produce his talent scales because all of the things that make him good are in this movie, but to greater effect. And he did a great job of changing his style to fit this movie. Like one of Edgar Wright's real calling cards is the fast montage of of close-ups of things. So, like, you really see this in the Cornetto trilogy. It's like a calling card of his. Like, someone's making tea, and it's like, there's, like, all this stuff happening, right? There's none of that in this movie. But what you do get is timing things to music, which is constant through this movie. Um, mm-hmm. 
references to things constant in this movie. Like, I will give you an example of this. During the opening scene, well, the second opening scene, uh, Ansel Elgore, a uh, baby, he is dancing through a street picking up coffee, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Now, I didn't notice this the first time because I was watching it in the cinema and I was paying attention to different things. But there's a bunch of things going on here. The action and the movement is being tied to the beat of the music, which happens throughout the movie anyway, but it's really clear here. Um, and when uh, Baby is kind of like walking through the street, the lyrics to the songs are written all over the walls. Um, there's yeah, like posters yeah, yeah. with it on there and stuff. And and there's like this one part where it, there's like a, a brass solo. Maybe it's like a saxophone. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's standing in front of a music shop that just sells brass instruments. Um, it's little stuff like that. The references to like to break the fourth wall, but in, in a way that you could completely miss unless you were paying attention. That is one mm. of his like absolute calling cards in the same way that like it's referenced in the movie about how perfect the name baby is for someone who likes music you know like he's talking with yeah. debbie deborah the, the the his love interest and and the the waitress in the movie right and uh they are talking about like the fact that she has two songs for her and he has like every song ever right because it all says baby but because of this like Edgar Wright actually uses this there's a lot of the music that is being listened to if you pay attention to the lyrics are informing you about something that's going on in the in the movie like there's this one part I don't remember exactly when it is but like there's a line like baby don't go in there oh I don't think I caught that right it's, it's like to that effect and it's before he's about to go into a uh a stressful scenario but it's just like a famous pop song right but by using the name baby and if you want to make references to what's going on in the film through the music that he's listening to you've chosen the perfect name because actually i did i did note later on in the movie this is toward the end right before things take a real crummy turn and this may be what you meant nowhere to run to baby nowhere to hide that was one of them. That that mm-hmm. that isn't the exact one I was thinking of, but okay, yeah, okay. Like there's 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 so much music that they could pick from to 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 for, to make great effect, basically, which I think was like a genius move for the naming of the character, um, which is again to say even referenced in the movie, but stuff like that. It is very good, and I think I didn't think of it this way until you had said, like, you know, the the montages and the quick cuts aren't really a thing in this movie. And I actually don't have a problem with them the way Edgar Wright does them. I do think they're kind of funny, but I do also think that that makes this movie a little bit more approachable because it's less quirky in that regard. I mean, yeah, it is. It 100% is, but you still benefit from his, like, student of cinema way. Mm -hmm. Where the stunts are practical. Yeah. So and this was one of the reasons we watched this movie was because we just watched Ronan. Yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Yes, yes, yes. And I mean, to be fair, this movie starts out, you see a building which says it's the it's a bank. And then the first real thing that happens on screen is this beautiful red Subaru pulls up and you see the wheel with the painted red caliper that says Subaru on it. Like already I'm sitting in the theater the very first time seeing this thinking, this is going to be okay. This is going to work. Like this is the first real thing you see on screen, and I'm already like salivating. I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to know what you thought of the Subaru. You like Subarus, right? Yeah. So uh, several cars ago, I had the kind of 
a more adult version of this red car that baby drives in the opener. This is a WRX, which is uh, more the size of my Volkswagen that I have today. But a couple of cars ago, I had a Subaru Legacy, which is basically this car and mostly the same motor and, you know, and drive uh, drivetrain and all that, but in a larger, more a more adult car with less wings and spoilers and things of that nature. And so I, I do have a bit of a soft spot in my heart for Subarus. And, and, you know, we see in the beginning, we see these people get out of the Subaru, they walk into the bank, clearly they're going to rob it. And then they start playing whatever song it was. I don't recall. And baby starts like singing along and you're like, okay, whatever. But then, then almost immediately, then we, we see him like starting to do the windshield wipers in time with the music and, and all these different things that are syncing with the music. And you're st- I'm, I'm, I, the way I thought of it was, okay, this is interesting. And then the, the stuff happens inside the bank and you start realizing that gunshots are happening in time with the music. And I could see how that would be, I could see how that would be distracting to some, like if you didn't really buy into the kind of shtick of it. But I don't know. I freaking loved it. And I loved it the entire movie. And I think part of the reason I loved it is because this must have been a nightmare to film and get this timing exactly right. Because holy smokes, so much of this has to be precise. And the whole movie, the whole like two hour, hour and a half movie, they do it perfectly. It's just unreal. So one of the big stunts, and I believe this is real. I think I remember seeing it. Uh, when it came out, you know, right at the end when um, Baby jumps over the car. Yeah, yeah. That's a real stunt. Someone did that. Yeah? Yeah. God, I'm sure that's... I've seen this. I'm sure I've seen this. Mm. Um, but So I, I believe that somebody actually did that. Uh, but so much of what happens in that movie is real effects, which is, I don't know, I like it, right? Like, I think a lot of these, uh, uh, these days, a lot of the time you can't tell, and I, and I don't mind about that when you can't, like, I don't care. But there is a certain, sometimes you see something that's so fantastical, and it's just nice to know that somebody actually did it, right? Like, there's yeah. just, like, a different thing to it, um, especially in, a, as we were talking about when we watched Ronan, in a day where, like, there isn't really this kind of stuff anymore, because it's so dangerous to do. Um, and it's so expensive and, and all that kind of stuff. But it, I thought it was like really cool to see the, the practical effects. Um, I do love that. I do love how cool um, Baby is at the beginning, right? Like he's just mm-hmm. like dancing around stuff in the car. It's just like, yep. it's really, Does really not good. give a crap. Yep. Doesn't give a crap about anything or anyone. It is so good. And, and you know, uh, the, this first car chase in the, in the red Subaru at the beginning of the film I've seen plenty of movies with car chases. I almost seek them out at this point. And, you know, most car chases, they're about the same. Doesn't mean they're not entertaining, but they're about the same. And this one, like, I'm I'm watching it silently as I'm talking, and I happen to be at the point where he does that, like, ridiculous spin move through the alleyway. Mm-hmm. How, 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 my does a part, being, my how does a human part. being do that? Yeah, I know. It's wild. My favorite part of that. Uh, car chase is when he does the switcheroo with the other red cars. Yes, and that's the other thing I was going to say. Like that is something different and clever. And I've never seen that before. Exactly, it's not really as much a stunt as it is just something different and interesting that you've not seen before. So, in case you haven't seen the movie, uh, basically there are two red cars that, at a distance and at a glance, look approximately the same as the getaway car that these that these four bank robbers and are he's in. He's trying to dodge a, pol- a police helicopter. 
Right. So what ends up happening is he's on, I forget if it's the left or the right side of this three-car pack. It doesn't matter. But then they go under a small overpass. And so he whips around and ends up as the center car or the left-hand car. You get the point. He, he rearranges the three-car pack such that if the police were following from overhead, they would assume he was still the right car or whatever it was. And then suddenly he's not. He's the middle or the left car or what have you. And it's just something like that. It's so clever. And it's not that it was a good stunt. Like It was an unremarkable stunt, but it was clever and different and interesting. And that's what I loved about it. So there are kind of two big themes in this movie. One is cars, the other is music, right? Because mm-hmm. these two things go together. Baby needs music because he has a tinnitus, a tinnitus, depending on how you would pronounce it. Something that's interesting after watching the movies of Mikey, um, I can hear, I, I'd watch this movie with headphones, can really hear the constant ringing sound. Yes. Is mm-hmm. it, is, there's, there, it is persistent through the whole movie, um, but especially at the opening, especially at the opening. Um, it's just like a constant ringing sound, which is really interesting. But watching this movie with headphones is a real experience because Edgar Wright is playing with the left and right channels a lot. So, like, for example, mm-hmm. there is a moment uh, quite early on in the movie where um, I forgot the actor's name. He was in The Walking Dead. He's only in the like the opening part of the I know movie. who you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, John something or other. Not John Hamm, the other one, but. John Bernthal, he plays a character called Griff in the movie, and he's only in the opening part. And it's you know, there's like this other thread of everybody's basically bullying Baby all the time, except Buddy who, for most of it. But I want to talk about Buddy's character arc, who, who's uh, John Hamm's character. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. Um, but he's kind of like being aggressive towards Baby and pulls one of his headphones out of his ears, and it's the mm-hmm. left headphone. And the uh, music is cut from the left channel. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's it's pretty cool. Kind of incredible. The like the way that uh, they play with audio, like just from a mixing perspective throughout this entire movie. But even to do something like that, I was really just like, oh, that's that's very special. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's unsurprising that Edgar Wright, who who seems to take everything about his movies so seriously it is unsurprising that he would take something like that as seriously as he has you know it, it, this is this is kind of his calling card to a large degree so uh, i i don't know so much of this movie i think i liked it in, in part because it it plays to my weaknesses in a good way like i love cars so of course a movie about cars i'm going to enjoy and i love music and so a movie that's about music i'm going to enjoy but additionally It's just everything was in a way that I'm sure most movies are, if not all movies, but everything was so deliberate and so choreographed in every sense of the word and so planned. And I just feel like it is hard not to be in shock at how well done every scene of this movie is. And I think you could make that same speech about pretty much all of Edgar Wright's movies, but it just clicked for me in a way that not pretty much none of his other movies have. And maybe that's a Casey problem. I don't know, but, or maybe this one is just the best one that he's done or maybe both, but golly, it is just so well done. 
Uh, let's take a break and we talk about the rest of this movie. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase and now they offer a range of essentials that solve real travel problems. Their luggage is loaded with features. Like, for example, the Away carry-on has a removable washable laundry bag to separate dirty clothes from clean clothes, which is one of my very favorite features about my Away suitcase. Um, it has. They have a 100-day trial, so you can try out out any away product on the road and they come with a lifetime warranty which means they'll fix or replace your bag if it ever gets damaged they have a built-in compression system that helps you pack more into your case and they also come in an array of colors two sizes and a bunch of materials as well Um, the bigger carry-on as well is like sized up to make sure that you have the most of the overhead bin while still being able to fit inside away suitcases are designed to last a lifetime they have free shipping within the us europe and australia and you get a 100 day trial on everything casey just sent me a message and said he had something he wanted to say about Away. So Casey, why don't you say that? Indeed. Uh, I don't recall the name of the color and I, I would have to stall for time to find it, but they have, it may have been limited edition. I don't think it is, but they have this like deep blue that is just beautiful. And uh, I am, I'm really itchy to, to, to replace my two Away suitcases uh, with one of these because, oh my God, this blue is so good looking. So if you've seen Away in the past and it may be, but I've only be- become familiar with it recently. And so if you've looked at away in the past, I don't think they had quite as many colors as they do now, but they have lots. So you should check it out for sure. And I have uh, the, the aluminum carry-on. Oh, oh boy. So- oh, boy. I love that thing so much. I put a bunch of stickers on it. It looks amazing. Uh, you can go check out Away's product right now and get $20 off a suitcase by going to awaytravel.com slash analog and using the promo code analog at checkout. That is awaytravel.com slash analog and the promo code analog at checkout for $20 off a suitcase. Our thanks to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. I want to talk about two character arcs in this movie. Um, I want to talk about Buddy first. So Buddy is played by John Hamm. Um, Buddy, Buddy's story arc in this movie is very interesting because he kind of starts off sympathetic towards Baby, right? Like the he... Um, he kind of like stops the issues with Griff, who played by John Bernthal, and uh, Bats, who's played by Jamie Foxx, right? Like these are two characters that try and give Baby hassle in the movie. And Buddy tries to like sort that out for him. And even at some point, actually, I think on two separate occasions, Buddy is trying to convince Baby to get out of this life, right? Like he's just kind of like, just get out of here. Like you, you don't belong here, that kind of thing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But Buddy, <laughs> Buddy and Baby's uh, relationship meets an unfortunate end as he transitions yes, to the villain of the movie in a really realistic way. Because during kind of like the last job, Baby kind of goes a little bit rogue, right? Because he's trying to get out. He wants to go and be with Deborah. And he puts the kind of the mission in jeopardy by killing bats, right? By driving mm-hmm. the car into that pole. Which then brings the police down, right? Which frustrates Buddy because <laughs> Buddy had already bit. told Baby, like, if you can't deal with this, you've got to get out of here. And Baby didn't. Uh, and then it ends up that Baby's recklessness results kind of in the death of uh, Buddy's wife, Darling, who's played by uh, Elsa Gonzalez. So naturally, 
everybody blames baby right as, as you could assume a lot of people would in this scenario when he's just watched his wife get shot by a bunch of police and then wants to get his revenge right and then basically chases baby down to the point where baby kills buddy right like they have a big standoff and it's like a really dramatic scene i love the scene in the diner right when when buddy's in the diner um and, every, and all the kind of like tension there and they have like a big action sequence at the end which is like you know uh deborah ends up saving baby's life which is like a, just like a really great moment after uh buddy has taken all of baby's hearing which is like an, another interesting part of the movie, right? Like he shoots, uh, he shoots twice near his ears to blow his eardrums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like this really interesting character arc where the only sympathetic figure towards him, other than Deborah, ends up being the person that wants to kill him. Yeah, yeah, and it's not. I can't think of any other movies where the to your point the only person that could vaguely be considered a friend becomes your enemy so well, they flip it resolutely they flip yeah. it right because kevin spacey's character who is doc you think of him being bad right because he's put baby in the situation but doc say doc puts his life on the line and dies for baby at the end of the movie yeah, that's a good point that's right? a good point because when they're in mm-hmm. that parking lot he gives him the money, tells him to get out of there, right? Like, tries to get rid of him. And then he knows that when he sees Buddy, that Buddy's going to kill him. And he tells Baby to get out there. He takes a bunch of bullets and then gets hit by a car, right? Like, yeah. in that moment, Doc decides to sacrifice himself for Baby at the time when Buddy has decided he wants to be the person that wants to kill Baby. It's like this super interesting, like, these two people that you think they are this certain way and then by the end of the movie... They flipped. Yeah, that's. I never thought of it that way, but that's a really good point. And and yeah, you're exactly right. And it's funny because uh, you know Doc was kind of like a father figure, but I, I don't mean I can't think of a better word than abusive. But yeah, that's a much better word for it because he wasn't abusive. That's not the word I'm looking for. But yes, taking advantage of is a much better way of saying it. And he was taking advantage of baby, but he was still kind of sort of a father figure. And I think Buddy was kind of like an he older was still brother looking out for him. Yeah, yeah. And Buddy is kind of like an older brother where he's not like a father figure, but he's also, you know, trying to look out for baby too. And then you're exactly right. Like in that one sequence, maybe not that one scene, but then that one sequence, everything just get flipped, gets flipped on its head. And next thing you know, Buddy is out to, you know, kill baby no matter what. And another thing, this made me think of it, another thing that um, struck me about this movie, especially on my, you know, subsequent viewings of it is that so much of this movie is given away by quotes of other things or like songs or what have you. Um, In the beginning, when the first heist in the red Subaru is over and baby goes back to his apartment with um, what's the, the, his foster dad's name. I can't think of it now. Uh, The character's name. uh, Joseph. Thank you. Um, So he's with Joseph and he's making him like a sandwich or something like that. And they're flipping through the channels after baby turns off the police report about him. And you basically get the entire plot of this movie spelled out in the scenes that are played in that, in that sequence. And then later on, like uh, we had talked about, uh, at one point where uh, the the song says, you know, there's no one, nowhere to run to, baby, nowhere to hide. Um, there's other things that all throughout the movie, if you pay attention, they basically spell out the plot of this movie line by line. But I, I can only speak for myself because, again, I'm not the most discerning film goer. I didn't catch all this the first one or two times I watched the movie. And so it's fascinating on repeated viewings, realizing 
how clear it's spelled out the entire way through the movie. You know, there is a kind of a funny thing that like uh, there is like this whole story or like just an interesting bit of trivia in that they show Monsters, Inc. on the TV during mm-hmm. that channel flipping thing. And it's even referenced later. It was like, don't quote lines from Monsters, Inc. at me. That was an exception that was made for this movie because uh, Baby Driver was an R-rated movie. Mm-hmm. And it has a Disney clip in it. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think I'd read that they needed like Pete Doctor, who was like the director or something like that of of um, Monsters Inc. Did him did him a solid, effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It took it took the, the basically the director of the movie to allow it to happen, which is kind yep. of awesome. It's just like one of those funny little things, and it's, it, it's like a pretty important plot point in the movie, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, the other character arc or like character story that I wanted to touch on is Baby and Deborah's relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I I just love their relationship. Um, they have this frenzied and fast love. Like they fall in love incredibly fast. Um, like they have two dates and they decide that they want to run away together. And <laughs> this kind of love is crazy, but it's real. Like it, this mm-hmm. happens to people. This is like the idea of love at first sight, right? Like it's that kind of idea. But you can get swept up in this kind of love and it be real. You know, yeah. it's, and it's kind of like a wonderful thing. And and I love one of the reasons I do love this movie is I do love fast love movies like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist is another one. Right. I mean, I, there's like a link between those these two movies for me and like these two people meet and they fall in love instantly and decide and like make such huge changes to their lives in order to be together. Like I kind of I kind of love it. Plus, they are such a cool this is so cool, right? Like they do like the headphone sharing and the laundromat. They have that that restaurant date, which is so beautifully directed. And it's like the coolest looking date ever, ever, right? They're, like the camera's like <laughs> moving around them and their bodies yeah, are yeah, like yeah. moving and they're like cheersing with glasses. And like they're doing the thing where they make the, the ringing sound by rubbing their fingers around the rims of the glasses and like they're mm-hmm, feeding each mm-hmm. other. It's just like mega cool. Um, and I, I really like the whole the whole arc, right? I like that eventually she's the one that c- helps him out when he's in a bad situation. I love that, like the 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 suspension of disbelief that she kind of is looking past a lot of the things that are happening because she feels like she understands who he is. Um, all of that, and I will we'll talk about the end now. Is the end real or a dream? What do you think? <sighs> So the end, you know, he walks out of the prison. She's waiting. Yeah, because he's know, got 25 it, years or five years on good behavior. And they show him being well behaved, right? That's all like he's doing his thing in the prison. He's working a bunch of jobs. And he also has like a bunch of great character references, even by people that should have been wronged by him, right? Like including the lady we gave the handbag back to, which is a brilliant moment. Do, do you think that he gets out and that... that uh, that Deborah waited for him, or is that a dream sequence? Because it is reminiscing a dream sequence yeah. that is earlier mm-hmm. on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am choosing to believe that it is indeed real. Um, I do think it is absolutely bananas that she would have waited for him after knowing him for like five minutes and having been nearly killed because of his exploits. However, I am choosing to believe that in the universe of this film, that that is real and that that is how the movie ends. But I am wondering if you feel the same. Oh, 100%. I, I will believe that it's real. Okay. Uh, they, they set it up enough for me, right? Like, I feel like the kind of love that they have and what they've been through together that she would be inclined to wait for him. Because yeah. you would assume she's been visiting him, right? 
Mm-hmm. She didn't wait for five years before she saw him again, I'm sure. Right. And uh, I would believe that if he could get out after five years on, on good behavior, that he would have, because his whole thing is that he's a nice guy, really, you know? Yeah. Well, plus, the, when he first starts walking out of the gate, it's all black and white, and that makes me think, okay, no, this is a dream. But then it kind of fades, not fades, but it, the color comes in, which makes me think that that's a subtle hint that, no, 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 this is really happening. This is, this yeah, is no longer a, a fantasy. Like that that's, that's nice. Um, I think that there's a really fun reference to Ronan in this movie. Uh, I Where? don't know if it's true, but I think that there is. Um, quite early on in the movie they do a very little bit of exposition of Kevin Spacey explaining to Jamie Foxx's character Baby's backstory, Mm -hmm. right? And he's like, it's like a very nice way of like, it's just summed up very quickly, right? Like the hum and the drum and all that kind of stuff, right? Like the way he explains Mm -hmm. it. And then then, uh, Doc remarks, I just drew this map while we were standing here squawking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, like, as I'm explaining as to Judas map, and it reminds me of the scene in in Ronan the when they're drawing the map with the coffee and they're talking. Mm-hmm. It just it just reminded me of it. I don't know if yeah, it's the I case, never thought of but it. I also do really like the way that they dealt with the exposition. Like, it was just done really nice, and they even made reference to it of like, we're just standing here and talking about nothing, right? Which is <laughs> how exposition basically is when you look at it yeah. from from a, in real life, but. Uh, the iPods are a great part of this movie as well. Different iPods for different days and different moods. And he has like a million iPods and all these different ones. And again, there was a bunch of articles written, I think, about the selection of iPods that Baby has, including one of the U2 ones. Oh, I did not catch that. Yeah, okay. one of, there's one of the U2 iPods is there. But yeah, yeah. that was like a whole big thing, uh, too. So yeah, it was, a, it was great. I, I freaking love this movie. It's so good. And I also liked that, um, and I don't think I put this together until I read like IMDb trivia or something like that, that ostensibly all these iPods are so varied and different and he has so many is because he was, you know, boosting and stealing cars. He was stealing cars as a kid and would take like sunglasses and iPods out of all these cars because that's where that that was the sort of thing that you would leave in your car. And that's why he has so many of them. And some of them that are like, you know, bejeweled and pink, which is fine for a dude to have. But, you know, maybe a little stereotypically unusual. My first iPod was a pink iPod mini. No, there you go. I didn't bejewel it, but uh. <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, I, as we've spoken about spoken about on this very program, you know, Declan loves pink, so it does not necessarily mean it's not his. But but that's just an example of something that's you know it's very very visually loud as compared to most of the iPods he had. All almost all of which seem very well worn, and I don't know. And, and I think that the ostensible backstory there is that you know, like I said, he was stealing them from these cars as he when he was stealing more. You know, growing up, I guess. Let me ask you. Let me pivot slightly. What did you think of Bats, both as a character and of Jamie Foxx's performance? Jamie Foxx is an incredible and underrated actor, uh, and I hate Bats. <laughs> I hated Bats so much, and I still do. I felt like he was almost too aggressively, like, too linear. I can't, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like there was almost no depth to him at first when I first started well, the first first one or two times I've seen the movie as I've watched it more and more I do feel like there is some amount of depth to bats I will say however that Jamie Foxx is a phenomenal actor and at first I thought he just like well, I thought he was overacting it a bit but again as I've watched it more and more I feel less so and I feel like he actually did a very good nuanced job at it but man what a what an annoying character like uh, he's designed to be annoying that's the that's the role he serves but what an annoying character 
I'm looking at the IMDb trivia now, which is always just mm-hmm. like a fun thing. So it did yep, remind yep. me. I love the foot chase in this movie. I love that a car chase movie has a foot chase. Yeah, 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 yeah. Turns out the movie was going over budget and the studio wanted to cut the foot chase. Uh, and then Edgar Wright directed some, he gave away some of his directing fee to include it, to increase the budget of the movie. So that would be kept in. Yeah, that, I read that this morning. That is so awesome. Another thing that I read that I loved is when they're about to do the bank heist of the armored car and they were told to get Mike Myers masks and ostensibly that was for the character in the Halloween movies. And so that's what they were supposed to do. But JD or whoever it was ends up buying four Austin Powers masks, you know, as done by the actor, Mike Myers. And I, it was such a like disarming moment where it, not to say that the other parts of the movie weren't funny, but it was like a really funny moment in an otherwise mostly serious movie. And I just think the whole sequence is so well done. And I think Ed, Edgar Wright did most of the writing for this, if I'm not mistaken. And he always does typically. Yeah. And the dialogue is so good in this. It's uh, who did the social network, who is also really famous, the writer. Uh, thank you. Yes. Not the same, but also just Every every word in this movie has a point in the same way I feel most Aaron Sorkin movies are. And I just I, I think the writing is so well done. And and I mean every every part of this movie, like the only thing that I could think of that was not a good part of this movie was some obvious like three lines of exposition as they're going to see the uh butcher where there's like an exterior shot of the car and you can tell like just from the way it is that John Hamm and and who and bats, uh, you know, Jamie Foxx and, and, um, and whoever else that spoke in that scene clearly were in a studio somewhere like, Oh, we should explain what's happening here. We need to go back and like put in a little exposition. Like that one seemed kind of phoned in, but every other part of this movie is flawless. It's just unreal how good it is. Uh, have you seen, um, this is very random, but bear with me here. Have you seen John Wick 2 by chance? I haven't seen either of the John Wick movies, but I've got them on my iPad to watch because people keep freaking out about John Wick. Yeah, so I went through the same thing. And actually the day before WWDC, I was at my brother's house and he pretty much insisted that we watch part of the first John Wick. And it is, it's a stupid movie, but it's enjoyable, if that makes sense. Like there's there's not a lot of depth to it, I don't think, but I, but it's a real fun watch. Well, anyways, in the second one, and I, this is not really a spoiler, in the second John Wick, at some point, one of the characters bi- uh, visits the sommelier, which I believe is the word for the wine person, right? And their their purpose in the in the movie is to distribute like firearms and knives and thing and and grenades and things like that, which is the same thing as the butcher, right? And, and the way the butcher is done in this movie and the way the sommelier is done in John Wick 2, very similar with like using wine or mm-hmm. do you see what I'm saying? Like using wine terms in John Wick and using, you know, uh, butchery terms in this movie. I, I it remind, they remind me of each other in, in a good way. And, and I, it's just, it, it shouldn't work as well as it does, but I just find it to be very, very funny. Love this movie. It's so good. It's so good. And I think this movie was made to make the two of us happy. Like for you, I think you get the music and the big budget Edgar Wright. For me, I've got the combination of cars and music and a a director who, even though I don't love him as much as you do, clearly knows what the crap he's doing, you know, whether or not you enjoy it. Like I didn't really care for Shaun of the Dead that much, although at this point I should probably watch it again. I didn't really care for Shaun of the Dead that much, but I never doubted the fact that Edgar Wright knows what the crap he's doing, you know? And it's so on, as you said early on, it is so on display in this movie. It's unreal. 
This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. They will let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. You can get a unique domain name to take advantage of and customize award-winning templates and so much more, giving you that home for your next project. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install or upgrade or patch or worry about. They take care of all of that stuff so you don't have to. And they back everything up with 24-7 customer support. So if you need help, someone at Squarespace will be on hand to help you. They also have great guides as well on their site in case you just want to get a reference for something. No matter what type of website you want to make, Squarespace has the tools. They're all customizable. It's always really easy to add in what you need. Their templates as well will come with a kind of like a page setup as well, like a page layout. It's like, the, you know, if you want to make a wedding website, when their templates will include all of the different type of pages you might want for a typical structure of a website. Very helpful for us because I didn't know what you put on a wedding website. So when we made ours on Squarespace, it was really useful. We just had to customize what we needed, change the text, change the images, and change the way we wanted it to look. But it was just really useful to know, like, oh, you need this type of page, this type of page. Whether you want to create a site for an event, a blog, a portfolio, or even an online store, they have all of the functionality that you're going to need. You can sign up for a free trial today by going to squarespace.com analog. Their plans start at just $12 a month. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code analog to get 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain. And you'll also be showing your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com analog and the code analog to get 10% of your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Oh, such a good movie. We should move on to Relay Your Feels, but mm-hmm. such a good movie. Mm-hmm. All right, so what do we got? Andy wants to know how my Romanian is going. Ah, yes, that's very pertinent. Lots days. of people ask me that question when I talk about going to Romania. So basically, the Duolingo thing just wasn't sticking with me. I think one of the problems was it was just teaching me words that I didn't really have a ton of use for. I got bored of it and I gave up. Um, I'm learning more just through like osmosis and I ask Adina stuff and I'm picking up more phrases and words here and there. I have a new plan uh, for now. I don't know if to how this plan will actually work, but uh, if and when we have a child, I want our child to be fluent in Romanian because I just think that makes sense because they need to be able to talk to all of their family. Um, maybe I'll learn with them. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Gary asks, do either of you use WhatsApp? Are you, is that how you pronounce it? I don't even know. Or, or are you forced to because of relatives or friends who aren't on iOS? How do you find it compared to iMessage? I do not use it. I don't think I've ever used it, to be honest. I used Line for a little while, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for some friends that were overseas. Line is the one of, the, I think is one of the, the messaging apps that's mostly used in Asia. Well, and I was using it, I was using it for Ben Thompson way back in the day right and then or wechat i think wechat is china and line is other parts of asia okay so i think i think that's what it was for um i did use something it may have been whatsapp and i just don't remember but i did use something with a friend of mine who is an american but has been living in wales for a decade now i think right then it was probably whatsapp if if it's somebody in the uk or europe it's whatsapp okay it was so long ago though because he eventually ended up with an iphone years and years or maybe it was just that i mess this was pre iMessage and then iMessage happened and then i never looked back for ben or for my friend spencer so um if i've used it it's been in so long that i don't i literally do not remember it but what about you i mean i presume that you might have a bunch of people who use it yeah i'm in a whatsapp family group hate whatsapp <laughs> how come not a huge fan of the family group 
Because <laughs> it's just—is like this a, your family or hers? My family. It's a group threat okay. of obligation. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I love my family. I just the family chat is just not my thing. Typically, uh, WhatsApp sucks. The design is horrific. The whole service is super weird to me. I wished I could just use iMessage. There's like only one or two people in the family that don't. There's like a 12 person group that don't have an iPhone. I figure I just need mm-hmm. to, to get iPhones for those people so we can move it over to iMessage. <laughs> Although, to be honest, I actually, there is, because I'm not particularly active in the family group, it is kind of nice to have it not in my iMessage, right? Like it's just uh, like over yeah, in a yeah, folder, yeah. right? Like WhatsApp's just over there. Um, but yeah, we've, we've all got to have these, these, things in our lives i suppose fair enough uh brad the champion writes who would win if you guys played each other in ping pong i don't know i are you a decent ping pong player i am at best mediocre and that is only on a good day that's probably mediocre i I was just interested in this question because i wonder how competitive you would be (sighs) you know i never thought of myself as particularly competitive um it's especially, I think in no small part, because I was never a particularly good athlete, you know, as a kid. And so I did play like basketball. I played a year or two of baseball. I played a year of soccer and, and of those things, I played the most basketball, but I was never good. And so I was never a particularly competitive person. Aaron is both athletic and far more competitive than I am. Uh, perhaps that's part of being one of five children. I don't know, but, um, one way or another, I think, I, I blame her for it, although maybe it was me just realizing my own inner competitiveness as I got older. But as as we have been together longer and as we've gotten older, I feel like I am getting more and more competitive. And actually, as we record this yesterday, it was our 12th wedding anniversary. So happy late anniversary. Thank you. Um, but anyways, I, I, I blame her, even though it's probably just latent competitiveness that I never expressed in the past. But that is many words to say. I never thought of myself as competitive, but I have gotten competitive as I've gotten older. My competitiveness typically matches either my opponent's competitiveness or my proximity to winning. <laughs> if it feels like I have a chance, then I'll be a bit more competitive. Sure. I can I can understand that. And I don't think that's too unusual. Uh, this is unfortunately somewhat relevant for you, Mike. Tony asks, how do you support your friends when they are going through something difficult, like a loss or sickness or medical issues or something like that? Because so how do you do them? I wanted to talk about the fact that I find it very difficult because this is I have not had to deal with this too much in my life and it it had been difficult for me when when needing to be supportive enough for Adina during the time um mm-hmm. so basically this is to say like I actually think that it is a very difficult thing and you kind of have to judge it based on the person um, and I know I didn't necessarily do the best job that I could have done, but tried my best to make up for that. Um, and, and it was mostly because I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know how to be supportive enough. Like, I just don't think I had the skills. So I guess really my advice would be, be there for them as they need you, uh, give them the attention that they need and try and remove obstacles. That was a really great piece of advice that I got from some, from some friends, you know, just yeah. try and remove as many obstacles as you can, whether that be through providing support or providing financial assistance or whatever it is that you can do to just get 
problems out of the way. So yeah, I'm still learning this. I think that's that's really smart is to just try to get obstacles out of the way and like run interference. Uh, I read an, an article just a few months ago that it took me forever to dig up, but I was able to find it. This is from 2013, uh, although I didn't see it, like I said, until a few months ago in the Los Angeles Times, and it's called How Not to Say the Wrong Thing. And it's written by a couple where the the woman had had breast cancer and and they witnessed, you know, how very different, pe- uh, how many different people dealt with the woman's breast cancer in very different ways. And the, the premise of the piece is basically, look, the, there are several concentric circles, starting with the person who is either just had a loss or is sick or whatever. They're the center of the, cir- of the, the smallest circle, right? A- around them is their partner or maybe immediate family or something like that. Around them is close friends, you know? So let's say, you know, that, uh, that, Aaron, God help us, was really ill. Like, you know, Aaron's in the center of the circle. Myself and Declan and Michaela are right around her. Outside of outside of us is our immediate families, you know, my parents, her parents, et cetera. Outside of those are like Mike, for example, and other dear, dear, dear friends. And it goes out and out and out and out, right? Well, the premise of this article is comfort goes toward the center and dumping comes out from the center. So if if, if I am one person removed from Aaron, all I do is comfort her, and then I complain to my parents. My parents, all they do is comfort me, and they complain to Mike. I mean, not that you guys have spoken, but you get my point that you always point comfort toward the center of the circle, and you dump outward from the center to the outside. And And it seems obvious when you read it, but I'd never had that like visual aid in my mind to help kind of visualize all of it. And, and it just, I don't know, it really, it's a very short article, and I really, really recommend it because it really helped me think differently about this sort of thing. I'll take a look at it. I like that yeah. thinking. I like that kind of that mental model. Yeah, exactly. And it's like I said, it's a pretty quick read, so I definitely recommend it. And there's a picture. So, uh, CFD asks, are either of you big on using Apple Health for tracking and observing trends? Do you use apps that sync your running or yoga data respectively? How do you handle that, Mike? I like apps that sync to Apple Health just because, but I don't use Apple Health at all for anything. Um, plus, I have like a whole new thought around fitness which i don't want to talk about right now but we'll talk about at some point in the future like i have a new plan my, oh interesting like, 117th new plan but i have a new plan <laughs> oh, but, like i have a wythings scale i actually have mm-hmm. the nokia one but it's now wythings again right which is like this whole crazy thing <laughs> right right that. um yep. and that syncs to apple health but i use the wythings app rather than Apple Health when I want to look at my weight change anyway. so But I like gotcha. to have apps and services that write to Apple Health. But yeah, so it's there if I want it, but I, I'm not currently using it for anything. I got you. Yeah, I, I don't use Apple Health as a visualizer, which is exactly what you said. I do try to make sure all of my data gets pumped into there, which is exactly what you said. Uh, I did a while ago, like a year and a half ago, maybe wrote a bespoke app to track my weight because I do not have a Wything scale. And it shows me a graph that I can choose between, you know, just the last seven days, the last month, last year, et cetera. And I do look at that to just kind of glance at what my trend is with regard to weight. Um, that's about all that I really pay attention to. I always try to close my rings because I still believe in the Apple Watch. Ahem. Uh, but, uh, but no, I don't. I don't use anything other than my bespoke weight app to really visualize stuff. 